0: Welcome to Black Body Health, the podcast. This is a show where we come together to talk about the intersection of our health and our culture. Podcasting from South Louisiana. This is Brittany Castine, preacher, pastor, political junkie, and now podcaster. And I am Ideal Ortiz, your co-host with Brittany, hailing from the Bull City and a longtime public health advocate. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Ideal Ortiz for Black Body Health, the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It is episode 21. We are celebrating Minority Mental Health Awareness Month with a topic that is quite in alignment we're calling it Black Mental Health. It's more than a notion. And today, our guest speaker is Nadia Richardson. That's Dr. Richardson to you, who is founder and executive director of No More Martyrs. Please help us give her a big, big welcome. Hello, Nadia. Hi, how are you? And so, Tell me, for those in our listenership that do not know about No More Martyrs, let's start there. Tell us a little bit about that organization. Sure, absolutely.
1: First, I just want to thank you for having me. I, I absolutely appreciate this platform for having these intentional conversations about Black health equity. So I want to celebrate you and the work that you're doing through this podcast Um, And then as far as No More Martyrs, we're a mental health awareness campaign that seeks to build a community of support for Black women and girls. And we take a social justice approach to our mental health advocacy, which means that we aren't just addressing the biological aspects of living with a mental health concern. We're talking about the social and cultural aspects of managing inequity and how that wreaks havoc on our mental well-being.
0: You know, I know that No More Martyrs recently had a large event. Um, You had a summit here recently, and so I'd love to learn a little bit more about that since that just wrapped up.
1: Yes, we just wrapped that up. So July is B.B. Moore Campbell Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. So our signature event each July is the Minority Mental Health Awareness Summit. So this was our fifth annual summit. Um, It was the first time we've done it virtual because, as you know, with COVID, um, we're still kind of distancing ourselves, but it's a very intentional um, conversation that manifests in an event that's an allyship event. So even though we focus on Black mental health, we have speakers who identify as um, Latinx, LGBTQIA, um, Asian. Um, indigenous. We have a lot of different speakers where we come together and discuss how mental health manifests itself um, in intersecting identities. So it's a very centered um, conversation and I enjoy it so much. The theme for this year was deconstructing BIPOC or beyond BIPOC naming ourselves for ourselves because there's been so much conversation yeah. about this new term BIPOC Especially yes. when um, organizations like Mental Health America are making that shift away from saying mm-hmm. Minority Mental Health Awareness Month to BIPOC Mental Health Awareness. Yeah, Month.
0: there's there's definitely nothing minority about us in this country. Absolutely. We are doing the things. And one thing I do want to say is that 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 conversation about the terminology um, was sizzling at the State of Black Health conference as well. That the Center for Black Health and Equity put on earlier this year. So y'all continued that dialogue then I guess at the summit.
1: We did. Each uh, summit we have what we call a community conversation and this is where we address a topic that we have varying opinions on. There are some individuals that are all for dropping the term minority and even with our organization we've been exploring a way of using a different term while still honoring the fact that This Awareness Month is named after B.B. Moore Campbell, who was a black female author, educator, and advocate. And she was also the co-founder of the National Alliance on Mental Illness um, Urban Los Angeles chapter. So we wanna make sure that if you're going to switch the name of the month, there's no erasure of her legacy and how her life contributed to the existence of July as Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. However, as you said, there's nothing minority about us, right? the whole connotation of that term is that there's lesser than um, the debate around the, the term BIPOC, which is black indigenous people of color is that it doesn't capture um, all the other insect uh, intersecting identities and ethnicities. It really centers the conversation on race alone and a certain level of ethnicity alone. Um, and other individuals say that it actually still frames us in a way where um, where individuals of color are still not the center of the conversation. It's just a label for individuals who are white and majority to be able to understand those experiences. Um, So the conversation that we had um, during our summit, it was interesting. It was dynamic. I encourage anyone to really find our YouTube page because all of our sessions were recorded and placed on the YouTube page.
0: Well, we'll make sure to include as many YouTube links about this summit um, to the show notes for this particular podcast so that our listeners can engage with the content because that sounds like a really dynamic conversation. And uh, speaking of dynamic, this has been a dynamic year pushing everybody to the brink as it relates to mental health and just kind of upturning all of our systems and that also riding the rails of a lot of social unrest. Tell me a little bit about how the protests, how the pandemic, how the stubborn poverty right now has hurt or continue to expose the need for mental health in the black community.
1: Absolutely, first we have to acknowledge that the entire world was in a mental health crisis. Yes, day-to-day. yes, Our yes. lives were flipped upside down, having to quarantine, having to isolate. We saw large increases in anxiety, depression, substance abuse, which of course is a maladaptive coping mechanism when you can't get back to your regular routine. We saw a rise in all of those things. So across the board, around the world, everyone was experiencing that, not being able to travel to see family, not being able to go about your regular work life, and even young people not being able to go about school. It impacted us all. But when you talk about Black populations, in the midst of that, global mental health crisis associated to COVID, we still experienced high rates of suicide, which was happening before COVID hit. We are still experiencing high levels of um, racial fatigue syndrome because we were experiencing um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and social and political unrest. We had to go through that election season. There were all of these things, um, the insurrection at the Capitol. There were all of these things that were so racialized that impacted Black communities directly, um, that we, it, you know, our mental health, in addition to COVID, was a, had another attack. And so I saw opportunities, and, you know, I do try to take a glass half full approach. I did see us connect socially, right, um, through social media, virtual events, No More Martyrs Ourselves. We host uh, monthly support group meetings. And of course, when COVID hit, those had to go virtual. And the benefit of having those virtual is that we were having them in multiple states And now we're virtual. And so women are joining from across the country.
0: Isn't that amazing? I find that a lot of, um, you know, pastors and communities of faith prior to the pandemic had refused to do too much online um, because they felt that it would encourage bad behavior. And now that the pandemic has forced them to put more of their gatherings online, which I, I, you know, I would dare to say that spiritual spaces are um, also Um, conducive for supporting mental health. And, you know, they have just been super surprised. I've spoken to a lot of clergy that are surprised at how many more people attend, how engaging it still is for them, and that it's a real break in um, opening up access in ways that they thought wasn't going to be the case.
1: So I'm an educator, right? I'm a professor as well as a nonprofit founder, as well as a DEI consultant. So, you know, juggling all the things, but you know, one of the things I always uh, take away from being a professor is that individuals have different learning modalities, right? So there are some people that need that in-person engagement, and there are some people that are just going to do better virtually. And I think what COVID has taught us is that there we can still be successful. We can make strides in our community outreach and our education and our business um, through online and virtual support but it's going to work for some and it's not going to work for others, right? That's right. So it was a nice nice resource to have and to be able to utilize. But I know that there are a lot of individuals that are itching, right? To get back in person.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I engaged mental health services during the pandemic. I realized that I just needed support during all of this stuff. So with absolutely no shame or hesitation, I'm telling you a, a girl had to go to therapy. A woman had to be in a session, but I did find myself being very conflicted about who I wanted to have as my practitioner, because I just knew black and brown practitioners were going to be pressed to the max with caseloads and clients, or at least that was my perception. So I did not push as hard during this round as I have in past, um, to have a black practitioner. Um, because I just knew that this was a moment where, um, you know, everybody was being, um, highly utilized, especially in the mental health field. And I was worried about taxing people past their point. Um, And I just had that going on in the back of my mind. So I I ended up um, cutting therapy a little short, you know, probably a month shorter than what I would have liked and relying on some other tools, right? Lots of time outdoors, watching my caffeine intake, thinking about my sleep hygiene, gratitude practices, um, other culturally related sort of practices, um, art, um, just really digging deep into my toolbox. I know that's not always enough, but. Um, it just was a strange feeling to feel that way about in how I engage mental health this time around. And so I, it, it brings me to think about cultural competency and, and how, how do you see that within mental health and how does that play a role?
1: So there's so much embedded in the statement you just made, which is so real and so vulnerable and so transparent. But let me show you a little bit of what is happening in all of that, right? You mentioned... Um, concerns about finding a licensed mental health professional who may be Black. That's a real issue and challenge when you think about the fact that maybe two to three percent of uh, Black psychiatrists, there are only two to three percent of Black psychiatrists, right? And only roughly about 13 percent of licensed mental health professionals, so licensed LPCs, only about 13 percent are Black. And you're very right burnout is real so those licensed mental health professionals who are black who research has found that you might get better service if you were going to somebody who has shared cultural ethnicities with you they're getting burned out because black people are utilizing mental health services more than ever right so that is very that's a very very real concern another thing that you said though is um, that you utilized all these other things. And I think oftentimes when people think about mental health, they're thinking about just going to a counselor. But all of those things you mentioned, getting sunlight. With quarantine, people are not going outside. You know what I'm saying? But you can go in your backyard and that's good for your mental health. You can take a walk down the street. Just get some sun to hit your face. Just breathe in some fresh air. Step away from your electronics. Watch what you eat. Get some exercise. Pray and meditate if that's something that you do. All of those things will foster our mental well-being. So that's another thing. And then finally, what you said about the importance of cultural competency, and I'll take it a step further and say cultural responsiveness, um, that curriculum needs to be required of all licensed mental health professionals. The burden of, and I don't want to say burden, the opportunity to serve um, clients of color should not fall on the shoulders of practitioners of color alone. All licensed mental health professionals, all individuals who are working in that space should be required to have not one elective class, not one course while they're in their program, Ongoing cultural responsiveness training, so that yeah. they can check their bias, so that they can get better strategies yeah. on how to engage minority populations. They have to do that because if they don't, they are doing more damage to the individuals that right. they have the opportunities to serve. And that's a that's a that's a um, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean Nadia, um, I shared before we got on this call when we were kind of chatting before hitting record that I got my master's in community agency counseling from an HBCU, and, you know, I went to an HBCU specifically because I wanted to get more of the support, right, for cultural competency and responsiveness within my line of work, and surely that did do that, Um, but in terms of the formal curriculum that is required by accredited programs for counseling for LPCs, right, right, um, to get licensed as a professional counselor. Um, I wanna be clear because there's a few different kinds of credentials for those who are listening. Um, they're not all the same. There's LPC, LCSW, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a medical degree. Um, so that makes it slightly different in that regard. Um, but you know, you are doing a graduate school level program for LPC and, LP, uh, and LCSW, licensed clinical social workers. And um, after that, you do need to then submit for licensure, which requires um, a, a few <laughs> years of being supervised and, tra- and continue to be trained after um, your graduate work. And so um, there's a few other things, but when you're talking about folks um, uh, getting counseling, that's usually what they're doing. Now, in my program, we had one class that was dedicated to diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found the textbook quite lacking, and quite frankly, offensive um, in its way of approaching this. And so our professor did add quite a few supplemental materials, but we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go.
1: We do, we do, especially when you think about the strides and opportunities that exist in twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one is the year that the American Psychiatric Association has admitted that they played a part in structural racism in the field of psychiatry. It's also the year that the CDC has said, "Hey, you know what? Racism is a public health issue." You know what I'm saying? Like we didn't know, but like they're acknowledging right now. But there are also professionals, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, oh gosh, let me think of her name, um oh gosh, her name is slipping my mind, but oh, Ruth, Ruth Shin, um, who wrote an article about structural racism in the field of shi- psychiatry. And while she was kind of thinking about, she was Literally in this article, considering leaving the field of psychiatry. So again, to go back to the statement we made about how few practitioners already exist. And now you have a black practitioner who is a physician. She was the director of cultural psychiatry at some point. She's a professor in the field of psychiatry, but she's become so disillusioned. It's like, you know what? There's too much racism. It's too much. And ultimately, as a professional, when you try to commit yourself to make those changes, you also make yourself susceptible to burnout. Like if you are a psychiatrist who wants to do that work in a field where you're not supported, right? It can impact your mental health.
0: And you know, that was the thing. Um, after finishing my work and doing my clinical rotation, um, I just realized, and I don't want to discourage anyone from going into the field, but for me, the the things my 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 client base was primarily black and brown. And the things they were describing, I was like, you know, you're having a pretty accurate and reasonable and human response to really terrible circumstances. This is, it's, it's not you, it's that (laughs) it's society, Mm -hmm. right. Um, and the community that we live in. And so I, um, and the structures in those communities. So I can, I'm still committed to, um, healing practices, but it's more so, Um, through healing of community and enabling people to participate in the healing of their community, which I think can also be a really powerful contributor to promoting good mental health outcomes. Um, But I'm still a therapy girl. I'm still like, Hey, you you still need that too.
1: It's a both and over here. Let me tell you something. And then I do want to piggyback on something you just said, but let me tell you something. I am Dr. Nadia Richardson, right? I write, I, I speak, I teach, I do Consulting work, I do all the things. But please understand that I am a Black professional woman diagnosed with bipolar 2 who sees her counselor and her psychiatrist on a very regular basis. Um, And I have no shame in that because it helps me maintain my life and do all the things that I'm very passionate about. And one of the things I do want to piggyback on that you said is that we don't want to discourage anyone from going into the field of mental health. We do need more Black mental health practitioners. However, and this is where I want to bring in Nicole Hannah-Jones, right? Because we were talking about her before we started our um, discussion today, too, behind the scenes, is that she's an example of how to do it. We are coming into these environments that often are very culturally and racially hostile, especially academic environments. And so how we go about doing this work is deciding that we wanna do it the way we wanna do it. She knew she was doing good work. She knew she was being awarded nationally and internationally recognized for that work. And when she tried to continue that work in an environment that was not supporting her, she said, deuces, you know what I'm saying? And And that protected her wellness better than anything she could have ever possibly done. So I don't wanna, wanna discourage anyone from doing the work. I'm saying do the work in a space that you can do it effectively, intentionally, because a lot of yes. these institutions wanna do that performative diversity. Oh, we welcome you, yes. but the, hosp- the environment does not support their words. Go where you can do the work, be intentional, because we do need more black mental health professionals.
0: Yeah, we do. And I love, you know, one of the things about her that I've appreciated is how unapologetic she is about who she is. And I can only imagine, you know, how um, there's there's a price and a prize for that, right? Um, and so when I look at her, you know, with her red hair and her awesome mm-hmm. nails and her dope jewelry, yes. you know, all of this presentation, I think... Is, is healing, it's armor, it's calling in um, you know others who um, can resonate with it. It's pretty interesting. and I know for me, in you know I'd mentioned earlier with um, what I've been doing with myself during the pandemic is you know when I am in grief and when I'm in pain, I go to m- making art. And what I think, uh, I've really enjoyed as of late is making jewelry. And so I was really Ooh. surprised to find out that you also make, um, jewelry as well. And so I gravitate a lot to Andinkra symbols. I have one tattooed on my body. <laughs> and so I'm really, really into that. And so I just was like geeking out a little bit to find out that that's kind of your thing too. So can I hear about that? And how, sure. what kind of role so, that plays within your work so I will tell you this I do
1: love jewelry I don't make it but I do look for individuals who make it so I might have to hit you up but <laughs> I do look for black artisans who are making jewelry because I love jewelry and my favorite type of jewelry is wooden jewelry so what you'll find on our website are um Dwinaman symbol earrings and if you look at our logo the featured center um the featured symbol in the center of our logo is the dwinderman symbol and it's an Adinkra symbol that stands for the balance between strength and vulnerability. And we chose that symbol very specifically because we wanted to push back against this concept of the strong Black woman that Mm -hmm. oftentimes encourages us to um, be strong um, and carry everyone else's burdens, carry our community on our backs to our own deficit because we ignore the fact that we also need support. So we encourage women to redefine strength. We encourage to define strength in healthier ways where you can be vulnerable and mm-hmm. fierce. You can be weak and still have the capacity to do all things and change the world. And that's yes. okay. So that dwin symbol, that's what really represents that for us. And that's why we chose that. So you can get those earrings on our website and all the posts yes. to support our work.
0: Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I do use that symbol in my work. Um, I'm actually in the middle right now of producing several of them in lighter colors, especially for people who, when they're doing ritual, cannot wear darker colors. So I um, am doing that. But I also gravitate heavily towards the Aya symbol Mm -hmm. around resourcefulness and overcoming adversity and the Sankofa symbol about, you know, taking our lessons with us, um, not discarding our past as we move, you know, boldly into our future. And so um, between those three symbols, um, and there's probably one or two others, I love making pieces um, that. Um, include those because I just think that they're almost like little talismans that, um, you know, emanate that message um, from deep in our, you know, roots and our history and our culture. So it's it's pretty great.
1: So it sounds Um, like we need to stay connected and maybe do something in that space. We do have a couple of events that will be coming up. And one of them is an artesian um, fundraiser. So we're going to be auctioning off different art. And I just got to tell you anyway, I love uh, jewelry, and I love supporting Black-owned business and Black artisans and Black women. So I probably need to see your stuff anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will be happy to share it. Um, I have a an eco-friendly kind of mission with it, um, which also soothes my soul and makes me feel yeah. good um, around upcycling items that would be otherwise um, thrown to the landfill. So all of the things we make are made out of um, upcycled materials to be as eco-friendly as possible. Because um, okay. we all know Black and Brown folks are leaders of you know, that, <laughs> oh, eco-friendly that space climate justice conversation as well, quiet as it may be kept. <laughs> oh, look, I encourage you to
1: get to know the work of Dr. Kenya Goodson, who um, works in the space of environmental justice. She was the first Black female to graduate from the University of Alabama with wow. a PhD in social, um, oh gosh, in in engineering. I think it was social engineering, but I'm sorry, Dr. Kenya or Dr. Goodson, if I'm getting that wrong, but I just looked yes. her up and yes. she has actually supported No More Martyrs as a team member and really talked about how um, environmental justice and um, environmental issues are connected
0: to our mental health. So she's very dynamic. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. I love getting new names to go chase down Uh, information from, you know, luminaries for things I'm really interested in. And so, you know, I just, before we go, I just want to ask if there's anything else you want to say, I mean, black mental health, it's more than just a notion. And so I want to give you the final word. Thank you. I would just thank you for the opportunity to come on and share a few
1: thoughts. I would encourage individuals to follow us on, you know, our, all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and even TikTok, uh, which was what my, um, one of my younger um, ambassadors was like, you guys need to get on TikTok. And I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> and then our website, nomormartyrs.org. And look out for some of our projects. We're working on a book right now called, called Massage Noir and Mental Health No Massage, Massage you are going to go is- there. Okay. Oh, let's we have on, to- new book. When is it going
0: to drop? Tell us when it's going to oh. drop. It'll be
1: 2022 for sure. Okay. We, I, okay. we are co-editing it with Dr. Ayana Abrams. So if you're not familiar with her, she is a licensed uh, mental health prof- She's a professional, a mental health professional out of Atlanta. She's been featured in Essence. She's just doing something. I think online. she lit it up
0: on fire at the State of Black Health also. So if oh, I- really?
1: So she was on a panel um, for our summit as well. And the name of that panel was Massage and War on Mental Health. So that's another video that you can go look for on our YouTube page. It's actually mm-hmm. on there now. And it is, it's, a, it's a dynamic conversation when you talk about now that we talk about uh, systemic racism, but you've got to talk about sexism, classism, homophobia, ableism, ageism. You've got to talk about all of those things and how they intersect. Maybe this can be my closing comment in order for us to talk about how those things intersect we have to depoliticize the conversation around critical race theory because embedded in that theory Mm. is the concept of intersectionality. And that concept is the reason we're able to talk about health equity in more contextualized ways. So that might be my closing
0: statement. Oh my gosh, this is going to be juicy. I can't wait to post all the links. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about the jewelry. I can't wait to attend a future event. And for those of you listening, as you hear today's podcast, episode 21, Black Mental Health, More Than Just a Notion, engage with us. Tell us your favorite ways to um, support your mental health. Um, Are you loving particular uh, therapeutic modalities? Do you have any things in your toolbox that you want to share? Engage with us. Share. Let us know. This has been Ideal Ortiz with Black Body Health, the podcast, episode 21. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you, Dr. Richardson, for being with us today. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of Black Body Health, the podcast. Until next time, this is your co-host, Brittany and Ideal. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.